Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great. This is the last week of school for my kids, and so that has uh, resulted in a, a busy schedule, but we had a wonderful graduation Sunday, and we have some phenomenal graduates who are getting ready to take their next step into the world and uh, still getting to celebrate them as they're in this time of transition. So it's that time of year. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I heard somebody say that May is miniature December, or now just as busy as December, particularly for anyone who has children or uh, is celebrating milestones. So it's been an exciting time. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm really excited for Friday because according to the Jewish reckoning, Pentecost is on Friday. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very exciting. I was just in, in the space. So when you go to the Holy Land, there is the upper room. Now, it is not the same mortar, it is not the same construction, uh, but it is the same, as our guide said, the same airspace. So they know this is where the upper room was. And so uh, you get to be there. And then in the late 70s, they excavated what are called the Southern Steps on the southern side of the Temple Mount. And as you walk around that area, there are mikvahs everywhere. Well, what are mikvahs? Mikvahs are walk-in pools, not big, but there's steps down into them, walk-in pools that were used for ritual cleansing. Mm -hmm. So when you go to Qumran, for example, the Essenes had mikvahs everywhere because to the Essenes, that ritual cleansing, ritual washing was remarkably important. Well, they're on the southern side of the Temple Mount. All these mikvahs are there. So you think about, how do you baptize 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem? Well, look at all these pools for ritual cleansing. And so having been to the upper room, having been to the southern side of the Temple Mountain, seen all the mikvahs and recognizing that this is where the Holy Spirit was given uh, and came in power, and the gospel went out supernaturally through the mouths of people who didn't understand the language, but in the language that others could understand, uh, it was a phenomenal thing. So the day of Pentecost is a big, big deal. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's always exciting when you have archaeology, and they're always finding things over in Israel, just always, <laughs> because all of biblical history took place there, more or well, less. Well, and it's funny, they'll say, it doesn't matter where you dig, you're going to find something. Yep. And so so just an anecdote along those lines, if you go to the town of Magdala, which is on the Sea of Galilee, so we're talking you know, north of Jerusalem, um, there was a hotel that started to dig to build the hotel. And they found the remains of a Jewish synagogue from the first century. And it was just covered in dust, 2,000 years of dust. And so it is so incredibly well-preserved. And I'm, Magdala is right there, very near Capernaum, very near, I mean, very near Tiberias, which is where we were. Um, and they just were trying to dig a footer for a hotel and found a synagogue that is so remarkably well-preserved. And there's just no doubt that Jesus taught there. And so... Um, no matter where you dig, you find something. Yeah. Can you imagine being that hotel owner who's like, all right, I just want to dig right here. And then it's like, oh, you've discovered a first century synagogue. This is awesome. And it furthers our understanding of our own history and culture. And he's like, 
Yeah. But it costs me money. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, speaking of digging, we will dig into our scripture today. Oh, look at that. Great transition. (laughs) Joshua 19, 40 through 48. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans. And the territory of its inheritance included Zorah, Eshtaol, Ir Shemesh, Sha'alabin, Ijalon, Ithla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, Elteke, Gibbethon, Baala, Jehud, Bene Barak, Gath Ramon, and Mejarkon, and Rakon with the territory over against Joppa. When the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, the people of Dan went up and fought against Lashem. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it, calling Lashem Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. So on Sunday, Jeff, you talked about this this story and the people of Dan looking for the easier route. So it really became a sermon about talking about, are we going to take God's way or are we going to take the wrong way? So you also talk a lot about how they're just certain prayers we just don't have to pray. That is, there are easy decisions between right and wrong, good and evil, life and death. Here at the top, can you just talk for a moment about the definitive nature of God's Word? Yeah, so God is clear in so many things. Now, again, we can't look in, and so I I don't read the Bible and, and read a passage that says, Jeff, this is what you should do next. This is your next step. Um, There are so many things that the Bible doesn't tell us to do. For example, the Bible doesn't specify that we should brush our teeth. And yet we have been given brains to come to that understanding that it's good for us to brush our teeth. And we have people who are dentists and dental hygienists who help us come to those understandings. And so um, there, there are many things about which the Bible does not give a direct answer. The Bible does not say, uh, Jeff, this is what you should do next. This is this is the next step in your life. But the Bible is remarkably clear about just some what I like to call prayers that we don't have to pray. So if we go back, for example, to just the giving of the law, there's 613 commandments, but they're summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the first one says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And so that's formative for all of us that that we should not place anything over and above God. So if I'm asking myself the question, um, what is the degree or level of importance anything, whether that be my wife, my children, my job, my calling, my church, what is the degree of importance that anything should have in my life? Well, I know that God is to come first. And so I'm certainly not going to bow down to an idol. I'm not going to worship some other deity. But I'm also going to seek, by way of the power of the Holy Spirit, to honor God first and most in everything that I am and that I do. There are other some very there are some other very simple prayers that we don't have to pray. Uh, for example, the Bible says, "Thou shalt not murder." So there you go. Don't have to ask. Lord, should I murder somebody? Um, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, okay, that's pretty straightforward. Should I cheat on my wife? Well, the Lord's going to say no. And I can't tell you the number of times over the course of 20 years of ministry where I've had people in my office who said, well, I just knew that this was the Lord's will for me, for me to pursue this relationship because I found my soulmate. And I'm like, 
No, God's been very clear here. Um, you don't have to pray that prayer. Uh, and he's not going to, in some sort of uh, spiritual experience for you, he's not going to contradict his word. And so, you know, thou shalt not steal. Should I go and, and, and rob a convenience store? Well, the answer to that question is no. And say, so, well, there's, there's murky waters there because what if your need is really great? It doesn't matter. God said thou shalt not steal. And so there are other ways to go about doing things. Um, so there are just some prayers that we don't even have to pray. And if we will allow ourselves to surrender by the power of the Holy Spirit and submit ourselves to God's Word in the things that He's very clear on, then that allows us to be in a position where we can better discern the spiritual guidance He's giving us through His Holy Spirit about the next steps we ought to take. So, you know, in some choices, for example, there's a, there's a clearly sinful element. Um, you know, let's say that I was offered a job in London tomorrow, right? And, and, and you know, the pay was going to be phenomenal and, and the opportunity was phenomenal and all those sorts of things. But uh, for my family, that is not the best decision for us. Well, Ephesians chapter 5 tells me to love my wife as Christ has loved the church and to give myself up for her. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I need to be ready to die in defense of her? Yes. But it means more than that. It means that sometimes God's going to call me to give up what seems like a great opportunity for me for the good of my wife, for the good of my children, for the good of my family. And so that's where you start to get into more um, subjective decision-making. You know, God is clear. This is what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Sometimes that means that you have to lay down things that you would um, otherwise have at the center of your will so that you can be at the center of God's will, doing what he desires. And so, again, you can't, you can't look in the Bible and say, oh, you should major in this. Um, but you can look in the Bible and see okay, this is sinful. Very clearly, God has said this. And, and let me say one other thing, because this is pervasive right now, that, that this idea of some sort of progressive Christianity, that the Bible was applicable 2,000 year, 2, years ago, but culture has shifted and God is growing. Well, that's not the case at all. Uh, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what Jesus has revealed in Scripture uh, stands just as firmly today as it did 2,000 years ago, as it did throughout the time of the writers of the Bible as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit putting down God's Word. Now, we can get into questions about Jewish ceremonial law and all those sorts of things, but we find that those are fulfilled in Christ, so no longer am I bound to those things. But thou shalt not murder, still very applicable. So um, the idea that somehow Scripture is evolving or our understanding of Scripture and what applies today is evolving is erroneous and leads us down the wrong path. And it's not going to end well. So, so those are just some some boundaries, some guideposts that are helpful for all of us uh, as we seek to discern God's will for our individual lives. As I said on the in the sermon on Sunday, if I will commit myself in the power of the Holy Spirit to follow God's will as it has been revealed in Scripture, then that will position me 
in the best place I can be to discern God's individual will for my life that then answers questions like, what should I major in? What sort of career path should I follow? Whom should I marry? You know, all those sorts of things. Well, and let's drill into that a little bit, talking about the decisions that are not black and white, that may not even have a, an obvious moral element to them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about graduation or, or even, you know, do I go to college or do I pick a career? If I go to college, which classes do I take? Right. When I graduate, which career do I go into? So what, what's like the checklist? What's the order of operations for approaching a decision like that? Well, so the first thing is prepare yourself for those decisions by being in the Word every day. Um, it is remarkable how God speaks through His Word. And as we read it every day, you know, I, we follow here um, just a, a systematic reading plan right now. It's, it's reading God's story, moving chronologically through the Scriptures. Today's reading was Psalm 119. We're recording on Tuesday, so it was the first part of Psalm 119. Um, and you would be surprised at how much and how powerfully God speaks to your particular situation every time you open his word. I mean, he's just, he's amazing like that. So having a background of the word of God, hiding it in your heart that you might not sin against God, that's, that's step one. So that's, but that's general. Um, if I'm approaching a specific decision, then the first question I'm going to ask is, is there any element of this that is clear, that is sinful as, as revealed in scripture? And I've got to flee the sin and and pursue righteousness. And so, Lord, help me flee sin and pursue righteousness. So there's an easy answer in many cases. Um, But then secondly, when there's not as clear of a a moral dimension. Um, So let's take, for example, when I was a junior in college and really seeking to discern, should I pursue medicine or should I pursue ministry? Um, I, I knew what I desired, I desired medicine, um, but I also knew what was happening within me. There was there was some turmoil there, and I found that my love for studying science and medicine was waning, and my love for ministering to people was growing, and so there was this inner sense in which um, God was was compelling me inwardly to turn in a different direction. But then here's what's amazing. Not only did I have this inward compulsion, but outwardly people started randomly affirming that direction. Mm. I'll never forget, I was working at Scotty's Contracting uh, during the summers, during college, and this was, this was the summer before my senior year. I still had not surrendered to the ministry, and I didn't tell anybody I was dealing with this sort of a, a tension. Um, but there was a man named Glenn who was a low boy operator, low boy driver. A low boy is a special type of tractor trailer um, that is used to carry wide loads. So often when you see wide load, it's a low boy. It's a huge piece of equipment that's loaded on a very low trailer um, because that allows it to be transportable. Well, we were waiting for someone to come and help us take the blade off of a D9 dozer, biggest bulldozer that Scotty's owned at the time. And we were just standing there talking out in a construction site, uh, a road construction site. So a big, long bed of dirt (laughs) with nobody around. And we're just talking. Well, Glenn was also a bivocational pastor. So Glenn 
on Sundays would go preach. He had, he was a pastor of this little church out in the country, and uh, he was just he was just a good salt of the earth man. And we're having a conversation, and out of nowhere, Glenn looks at me and goes, "You ain't gonna be no doctor boy." And I said, "What do you mean?" Uh, because everybody knew I was headed toward medicine, and and they my nickname was Doctor. That's mm-hmm. what they called me. And uh, Glenn said, "You ain't gonna be no doctor." And that shook me to my core because what was happening? Well, he was affirming outwardly, extrinsically, something that God was communicating to me inwardly, intrinsically. And I can't tell you how many times that happened. Now, I don't think we look to other people for that direction. We don't just say, well, what should I do? And just let somebody else prescribe that. But there's this amazing thing that happens when what God is speaking through his spirit within my inner person that is not sinful or contrary to his word, because remember, God will never contradict himself. When that begins to be affirmed and confirmed by things that people are saying seemingly randomly, extrinsically. It's really an amazing thing. So I had a buddy who was a year younger than me, and I got to mentor him uh, in the ministry, and he ended up taking over my leadership role after I graduated. Um, But he was dealing with the exact same tension. He also was majoring in biochemistry and molecular biology. He also had a love for ministry. He also was was trying to decide, do I pursue medical school or do I go into ministry? And the Lord led him in the opposite direction. So he ended up graduating, going to the University of Louisville Medical School, getting his uh, doctor of medicine degree, and he still practices there in Louisville doing sports medicine. And so, uh, again, it's not like I made the holier decision by going into ministry He's helping people in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ in a way that God has led him to do that. And so again, I'm going to look to the Word. I'm going to have a basis of foundation in the Word so that you know, as I hide the Word in my heart, I might not sin against God. Um, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit begins to communicate with me, and now let me, let me say one other thing because this is where people get all weird. I've never heard the audible voice of God. Okay, some people say they have. I believe them. That's fine. Um, recognizing that God will never contradict Himself, and so there's there's a thousand things I could say here. Things that people have told me God told them over the years, and it didn't happen. Uh, how do I know that? Because God does not contradict Himself. So that notwithstanding, I have never heard the audible voice of God. What it typically comes as is a sense within myself that. This is a direction God may be leading, and I I seek not to be in the business of telling God no. And so, Lord, give me clarity on this. Give me discernment on this. I pray with people about that all the time. Lord, Lord, you said if if we lack wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, we should come come to you who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's in James chapter 1. So we need wisdom in this decision. So we ask for that wisdom. We pray for that guidance, and we pray that through your Spirit and through your Word and even by your people coming around us and, and sharing wisdom um, that we would have the, the right wisdom to make the right next decision. Okay, so I want to round out this conversation by talking about kind of the opposite spectrum of things. So talking about the temptation aspect of making decisions. So you were talking about reading the Word and discovering things that are immediately relevant. The other day, 
uh, I was reading the Bible and I I read the the wrong portion of what I was supposed to read. Ah. Yeah, and I ended up reading about Matthew four with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, uh, was not what I was supposed to read according to what I was you know going with. But you talked about how Satan's temptations are always logical and always seem to make sense and you know seem to be what's best for us in the moment according to our own you know reason and logic. So in reading that, you know, right before I listened to your sermon, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about this. So can you, can you talk about how, you know, Satan tempting Jesus to do these incredible miracles are, you know, they are logical on the, you know, like if Jesus is the son of God, it seems like he can do all of these things, but why, why would it be wrong for him to make a stone into bread or, you know, be caught by angels? Why, why are these even temptations? Why are they even wrong, as it were? That's a great question. And again, having just come from the Holy Land, when you go to Jericho, you have a great view of the Mount of Temptation. And that is the place where uh, traditionally uh, it is believed that that's where Jesus was during these 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Let me say that the Judean wilderness is a harsh place. Mm. I think for those of us living in the United States of America, particularly in in Bowling Green, Kentucky, in and around this region, uh, the wilderness kind of carries a different connotation. Uh, the wilderness for me is the, the the fields around my house growing up that we would go play in, and and there was always a source of water. There was always you know vegetation. There was always shade. There, I mean, it's like yeah, that would be tough. And and so what that does is that paints in my mind a picture of what the wilderness is for Jesus. That is not the Judean wilderness. I'm talking about sparse. I mean, there's a reason Jericho is the oldest populated city in the world, and that's because in the midst of all the brown, there's water there, and so there's green. It's an oasis. It really is, and so that's why people have always populated Jericho, because there's a water source there. Um, So Jesus is in the Judean wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting. He is not eating. Uh, Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man, and so uh, he's hungry. (laughs) The Bible says 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. So there's step one. What is the tempter? What is Satan trying to get Jesus to do? He's trying to get Jesus to prove himself. Yeah. Okay. Jesus doesn't have to prove himself. Jesus is God. All the demons know that Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is here. No demon is confused about Jesus's identity. Satan is not confused about Jesus's identity. Jesus said in Luke ten eighteen, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so Satan knows exactly who this is, but he comes to Jesus in his bodily weakened state and says, if you are the son of God, in other words, prove it. Well, there's, there's, immediately red flags should be waving in our in our minds but what does he say he says command these stones to become loaves of bread so what does jesus do jesus refuses to prove himself and then goes back to scripture he's got the word hidden in his heart right so he might not sin against god he didn't sin against god because the author of the word had the word written in his heart and he says it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god so then the devil takes him to the holy city and sits him on the pinnacle of the temple so you go again you go to jerusalem you go to the temple mount 
The southeast corner of the Temple Mount is very high up over busy streets where passers-by were there. Uh, this is traditionally the place where people believe this is where Satan brought Jesus and cast yourself off and, and let the angels come. Because by the way, the Bible says, now Satan starts quoting scripture. Yeah. And keep in mind, Satan's real good at quoting scripture. He knows the Bible better than you do, Jordan, better than I do, better than any other human being. So he quotes scripture saying, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So is it right to say that the angelic realm is there to support almighty God who is here in person, is the second person of the Holy Trinity, God in flesh, Jesus the Christ. Is that a right interpretation? Well, yes. At, at the outset, it's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, let's do this. But again, remember the heart. What is Satan trying to get Jesus to do? He's trying to get him to prove himself. He's trying to get him to, to, to show forth his identity as the Son of God by this spectacular show of the power of God and of the angelic realm doing a great miracle how many times did people ask for miracles? Jesus said this perverse generation will not get a sign uh, other than the sign of Jonah. Plenty of miracles, but there was not going to be some sign in which <laughs> in the eastern sky there appeared you know, a, an angel blowing a trumpet that would say, we had the, the angels that spoke to the shepherds when Jesus was born, but now three decades later, that's not how this is going to happen. You're going to have to put faith in Jesus of Nazareth, to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So there's that one. And then the last temptation uh, takes him to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So now it switches. No longer it's prove yourself. Now it's change the trajectory of your worship. Worship me. I am the prince of the power of the air. I am the ruler of this world. Those are those are epithets that the Bible would use about Satan. Yeah. Uh, I can give you this authority. I can give you all glory, no cross. And Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So this introduces another kind of difficulty as we're seeking to make decisions because sometimes the tempter will quote scripture in a way that kind of makes sense. And so we've got to say, okay, what is the heart behind this quotation? I had a, a pastor mentor who told me many years ago, look, Jeff, you can proof text anything. You can pull a Bible verse out of context and you can find something that would allow you to do pretty much anything you want. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, that's why we have to take the whole counsel of scripture under the authority of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and seek to apply it. And, and what, what do we do? We look for the teaching of the whole counsel of Scripture. We don't just extract verses that say, oh, this says this. Um, <laughs> all you got to do is go to social media and look at memes right now. Right now. Um, I, like one, for example, is um, God is within her. She shall not fall. Psalm 46 well, that's not talking about a woman. It's talking about a city. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I mean, it's, or, or um, you, you don't have to fight. The Lord will fight for you. Exodus 14, 14, and we love it. But the very next line is, God says to Moses, why are you standing here calling out to me? Go forward. So yeah. again, we have to be careful about ripping verses out of context. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that doesn't mean dunking a basketball. 
Okay, that means enduring all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. So you, you, you've got to get the context. You've got to have the whole counsel of Scripture. And, and that's helpful in discerning, okay, is this <laughs> Scripture text that's being thrown at me, um, is that being used according to the wisdom of God through the whole counsel of Scripture? Well, and that takes us beautifully into today's listener question. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, just a second ago, you referenced having a mentor. Yeah. So how do I find a Christian mentor? What should I look for in a mentor? Great question and a very important question. Um, Number one, I would say be a part of a church, Uh, (laughs) particularly post-COVID. Listen, you can, on your phone or on your device, you can listen to the best preaching in the world for free. You can listen to the best music in the world for free. And the temptation is great to hole up and say, I can access all these things. I'm good. Um, The problem with that is that Christianity from its very beginning uh, is designed to be lived in community. The people of God have been called to live in community from the very beginning, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. So now we have Eve. We have man and woman. We have them forming the fundamental basic uh, unit of culture, the, the, the family. They have children. All of a sudden, within that community, there's sin. There's problems. Cain and Abel didn't get along real well. Um, But we see that God has designed us to live in community. So I would say step one is to find a community of faith, a local church family, Um, vitally important. And uh, one of the things I love, T.J. Renfro, who's our candidate to be our minister of students here, uh, just spoke to our graduates. And he said, when you're in college, I love campus ministries. I was a part of three different campus ministries. They're so important, but you got to find a church home because if that campus ministry becomes your your Christian community, well, you're going to graduate at some point, and all of a sudden that Christian community is going to disappear. So he told them, wherever you're going, find a good church home that preaches the Bible, that preaches Jesus crucified and resurrected, and 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 that will be for you a community where you've got brothers and sisters in Christ who can stir you up toward love and good works. It was such a good word that he shared with our graduates. Um, So that's step one. Be a part of a Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church. Step one. You will find as you engage with that community of faith that God will begin to raise up people that when you look at their lives, something within you clicks and says, you know, I like what that what what what's going on there. Uh, I, I like what I see. So if I'm looking for a mentor, what am I looking for? I'm looking for somebody who's a little bit ahead of me. Uh, I'm going to look for somebody who's a little bit older than me, um, or maybe a lot bit older than me. I, you know, I have mentors here at First Baptist Church, some of whom are are nearly fifty years older than me. Um, but I want to look at their life and see is are are they living the sort of life that is informed by their faith that I would like to live. And so that's step one. Um, Are they living the sort of life informed by their faith as revealed in the Word of God? Um, In other words, is there obvious willful sin in their life that I don't want to replicate in my life? Um, Those things matter. And so as you're a part of that community, you will begin to find people where your hearts just resonate. And um, 
you cultivate a friendship and, and you spend time together and then you add some intentionality into it. And so that's where this prayer partner initiative has come from. Just having that intentionality to say, we are in this uh, together, journeying together, growing together and recognizing that uh, we're all on a journey and we're all taking our next steps toward Jesus. And so, um, but I, I can't tell you, you're not going to find a Christian mentor sitting at the house um, watching worship on YouTube, listening to preaching through your phone. Um, and we have a broadcast ministry, and we love our broadcast ministry. And, and thousands of people are a part of our broadcast ministry. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to do is help cultivate community, even among those who can't get out of their house. You know, there's some people who are homebound and, and, they can't come and be a part of the physical community. So how can we engage with them by way of virtual means to help still cultivate that sort of community where they can find a faith mentor, uh, somebody who's going to be there to, to help kind of coach them through those moments where God's word is not abundantly clear insofar as, Jordan, this is what you do next. So... I think those are some practical steps that might be helpful. They are. They are. Yeah. And your description of that, it reminds me of one of the mentors in my life, uh, a gentleman named Jonathan. He mm-hmm. um, is about about 10 years older than me. Uh, I met him several years ago. He was just engaged. I met him the day that he announced to the congregation that he was engaged. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like, I, th- that's the point I met him at. You know, I had not met my, my wife, Taylor. So, you know, a young single guy learning from a guy who's engaged and you know, he was farther advanced in, you know, his studies of the Bible than I was. And uh, it's funny, you talked about uh, going to seminary, not going to seminary. There was a time where I thought about going to seminary, you know, yeah, yeah, I thought about it. I didn't know if it was, you know, God's will or not. Um, And he, he said, you could do that, but you have incredible gifts that you can use elsewhere and you can still serve God in those ways. Yes. And so it was kind of like that moment you had with the gentleman on the lot where, he just said one word, and it wasn't even necessarily like a whole package telling you where to go. It was just a simple enough word that directed you in the way that you should go. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just share that, listeners, just as an example of what can happen when you do have someone who's older than you, wiser than you, farther along in the walk with you that you can learn from and go through in this Christian walk. Yeah, it's so vitally important. You look at 2 Timothy 2, two, and Paul writes to Timothy, the things you've heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses, the same entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And one of the coolest things is for me now, I've been doing it long enough that I'm starting to see spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren wow. who have no idea who I am. But when I meet them, they'll tell me what one particular individual meant to them. Well, I got to pour into that individual. And that's phenomenal. Six months ago, I got to meet one of my spiritual grandparents, and we had never met each other. But this individual was so incredibly formative in the lives of two of my mentors who never met each other and lived hours and hours apart. And my life intersected with their lives in very different locations. But this one individual had poured into both of them in such substantive and formative ways that they had both talked about this one individual. Well, then I got to meet this individual 
and we captured a photo and and I'm sitting here going this is my this is my spiritual grandfather one of them um and what a joy that is so again that's how the christian faith is designed to propagate down through the centuries second timothy 2:2 powerful paradigm. Um, so if you are not engaged in some sort of a mentoring relationship, um, you're missing out. So so if you need help finding a mentor, let us know. Uh, email us at connect at firstbaptistbg.org and, uh, and we'll help you. I'll tell you, step one, find a church family. Step two, get involved in a group. Sunday school class, koinonia group, small group, you will be surprised how readily um, those mentors begin to emerge. Get involved in a service group. Sing in the choir. Help with a mission project. Uh, you know, there, there's a thousand different things you can do. But again, as you engage with God's people doing God's work, you will be surprised at how amazingly God raises up people who can be mentors in your Christian walk. Amen. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Well, we love you, and we thank you for all the good grace that you give us, all the mercy you have for us. And Lord, we pray that we would be ready recipients of everything you would do in our lives. Help us to turn away from sin. Help us to be led by your Holy Spirit according to your holy word. And help us to live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints in a way that glorifies you and in a way that blesses the world around us. But we do pray that as we seek to make decisions day in and day out, that we would function according to your word, uh, consuming your word daily and hiding it in our hearts that we might not sin against God, but also, Lord, that we might be guided by your Holy Spirit, functioning according to the wisdom that comes from you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us that wisdom. We humbly seek it as we humbly seek you wanting to go in your way and not our own. And so, Lord, our prayer is that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that your will would be done in our lives to the glory of God and the good of those around us. We ask these things trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden.